Section 23 of Waverley, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Waverley, or Tis Sixty Years Since, Volume 1, by Sir Walter Scott. Section 23. Chapter 18. Waverley Proceeds on His Journey. When Edward had collected his scattered recollection, he was surprised to observe the cavern totally deserted. Having arisen and put his dress in some order, he looked more accurately round him, but all was still solitary. If it had not been for the decayed brands of the fire, now sunk into grey ashes, and the remnants of the festival, consisting of bones half burnt and half gnawed, and an empty keg or two, there remained no traces of Donald and his band. When Waverley sallied forth to the entrance of the cave, he perceived that the point of rock, on which remained the marks of last night's beacon, was accessible by a small path, either natural or roughly hewn in the rock, along the little inlet of water which ran a few yards up into the cavern, where, as in a wet dock, the skiff which brought him there the night before was still lying moored. When he reached the small projecting platform on which the beacon had been established, he would have believed his further progress by land impossible, only that it was scarce probable but what the inhabitants of the cavern had some mode of issuing from it otherwise than by the lake. Accordingly, he soon observed three or four shelving steps, or ledges of rock, at the very extremity of the little platform, and, making use of them as a staircase, he clambered by their means around the projecting shoulder of the crag on which the cavern opened, and, descending with some difficulty on the other side, he gained the wild and precipitous shores of a highland loch, about four miles in length and a mile and a half across, surrounded by heathy and savage mountains, on the crests of which the morning mist was still sleeping. Looking back to the place from which he came, he could not help admiring the address which had adopted a retreat of such seclusion and secrecy. The rock, round the shoulder of which he had turned by a few imperceptible notches, that barely afforded place for the foot, seemed, in looking back upon it, a huge precipice, which barred all further passage by the shores of the lake in that direction. There could be no possibility, the breadth of the lake considered, of descrying the entrance of the narrow and low-browed cave from the other side, so that, unless the retreat had been sought for with boats, or disclosed by treachery, it might be a safe and secret residence to its garrison as long as they were supplied with provisions. Having satisfied his curiosity in these particulars, Waverley looked around for Evan Dhu and his attendants, who, he rightly judged, would be at no great distance. Whatever might have become of Donald Bean Lean and his party, whose mode of life was, of course, liable to sudden migrations of abode, accordingly, at the distance of about half a mile, he beheld a highlander, Evan apparently, angling in the lake, with another attending him, whom, from the weapon which he shouldered, he recognized for his friend with the battle-axe. Much nearer to the mouth of the cave he heard the notes of a lively Gaelic song, guided by which, in a sunny recess, shaded by a glittering birch-tree, and carpeted with a bank of firm white sand, he found the damsel of the cavern, whose lay had already reached him, busy, to the best of her power, in arranging to advantage a morning repast of milk, eggs, barley bread, fresh butter, 
and honeycomb the poor girl had already made a circuit of four miles that morning in search of the eggs of the meal which baked her cakes and of the other materials of the breakfast being all delicacies which she had to beg or borrow from distant cottagers the followers of donald bean lean used little food except the flesh of the animals which they drove away from the lowlands bread itself was a delicacy seldom thought of because hard to be obtained and all the domestic accommodations of milk poultry butter etc were out of the question in this scythian camp yet it must not be omitted that although alice had occupied a part of the morning in providing those accommodations for her guests which the cavern did not afford she had secured time also to arrange her own person in her best trim her finery was very simple a short russet-coloured jacket and a petticoat of scanty longitude was her whole dress but these were clean and neatly arranged a piece of scarlet embroidered cloth called the snood confined her hair which fell over it in a profusion of rich dark curls the scarlet plaid which formed part of her dress was laid aside that it might not impede her activity in attending the stranger i should forget alice's proudest ornament were i to omit mentioning a pair of gold earrings and a golden rosary which her father for she was the daughter of donald bean lean had brought from france the plunder probably of some battle or storm her form though rather large for her years was very well proportioned and her demeanour had a natural and rustic grace with nothing of the sheepishness of an ordinary peasant the smiles displaying a row of teeth of exquisite whiteness and the laughing eyes with which in dumb show she gave waverley that morning greeting which she wanted english words to express might have been interpreted by a coxcomb or perhaps a young soldier who without being such was conscious of a handsome person as meant to convey more than the courtesy of an hostess nor do i take it upon me to say that the little wild mountaineer would have welcomed any staid old gentleman advanced in life the baron of bradwardine for example with the cheerful pains which she bestowed upon edward's accommodation she seemed eager to place him by the meal which she had so sedulously arranged and to which she now added a few bunches of cranberries gathered in an adjacent morass having the satisfaction of seeing him seated at his breakfast she placed herself demurely upon a stone at a few yards distance and appeared to watch with great complacency for some opportunity of serving him evan and his attendant now returned slowly along the beach the latter bearing a large salmon trout the produce of the morning sport together with the angling rod while evan strolled forward with an easy self-satisfied and important gait towards the spot where waverley was so agreeably employed at the breakfast-table after morning greetings had passed on both sides and evan looking at waverley had said something in gaelic to alice which made her laugh yet colour up to her eyes though a complexion well and browned by sun and wind evan intimated his commands that the fish should be prepared for breakfast a spark from the lock of his pistol produced a light and a few withered fir branches were quickly in flame and as speedily reduced to hot embers on which the trout was broiled in large slices to crown the repast evan produced from the pocket of his short jerkin a large scallop shell and from under the folds of his plaid a ram's horn full of whisky of this he took a copious dram observing he had already taken his morning with donald bean lean before his departure 
he offered the same cordial to Alice and to Edward, which they both declined. With the bounteous air of a lord, Evan then proffered the scallop to Dugald Mahoney, his attendant, who, without waiting to be asked a second time, drank it off with great gusto. Evan then prepared to move towards the boat, inviting Waverley to attend him. Meanwhile, Alice had made up in a small basket what she thought worth removing, and flinging her plaid around her, she advanced up to Edward, and with the utmost simplicity, taking hold of his hand, offered her cheek to his salute, dropping at the same time her little curtsy. Evan, who was esteemed a wag among the mountain fair, advanced as if to secure a similar favor. But Alice, snatching up her basket, escaped up the rocky bank as fleetly as a row, and, turning round and laughing, called something out to him in Gaelic, which he answered in the same tone and language. Then, waving her hand to Edward, she resumed her road, and was soon lost among the thickets, though they continued for some time to hear her lively carol, as she proceeded gaily on her solitary journey. They now again entered the gorge of the cavern, and stepping into the boat, the Highlander pushed off, and, taking advantage of the morning breeze, hoisted a clumsy sort of sail, while Evan assumed the helm, directing their course, as it appeared to Waverley, rather higher up the lake than towards the place of his embarkation on the preceding night. As they glided along the silver mirror, Evan opened the conversation with a panegyric upon Alice, who, he said, was both canny and fendy, and was, to the boot of all that, the best dancer of a Strathspey in the whole Strath. Edward assented to her praises so far as he understood them, yet could not help regretting that she was condemned to such a perilous and dismal life. Oich for that, said Evan, there is nothing in Perthshire that she need want, if she ask her father to fetch it, unless it be too hot or too heavy. But to be the daughter of a cattle-stealer, a common thief, common thief, no such thing. Donald Beanley never lifted less than a drove in his life. Do you call him an uncommon thief, then? No, he that steals a cow from a poor widow, or a stirk from a cotter, is a thief. He that lifts a drove from a sensenash laird is a gentleman drover. And, besides, to take a tree from the forest, a salmon from the river, a deer from the hill, or a cow from a lowland straith, is what no Highlander need ever think shame upon. But what can this end in, were he taken in such an appropriation? To be sure he would die for the law, as many a pretty man has done before him. Die for the law? Aye, that is, with the law, or by the law, be strapped up on the kind gallows of Creef. Footnote. See note 16. Where his father died, and his good sire died, and where I hope he'll live to die himself, if he's not shot, or slashed, in a cray. You hope such a death for your friend, Evan? And that do I, Ian. Would you have me wish him to die on a bundle of wet straw in yon den of his, like a mangy tyke? But what becomes of Alice, then? Troth, if such an accident were to happen, as her father would not need her help any longer, I cannot to hinder me to marry her myself. Gallantly resolved, said Edward. But, in the meanwhile, Evan, what has your father-in-law, that shall be, if he have the good fortune to be hanged, done with the baron's cattle? 
Oich, answered Evan, they were all trudging before your lad and Alan Kennedy before the sun blinked o'er Ben Lawyers this morning, and they'll be in the pass of Ballybrug by this time, in their way back to the parks of Tully Violin, all but two, that were unhappily slaughtered before I got last night to Wim Henri. And where are we going, Evan, if I may be so bold as to ask, said Waverley. Where would you be ganging, but to the laird's ain house at Glenacoich? You would not think to be in his country without ganging to see him. It would be as much as a man's life's worth. And are we far from Glenacoich? But five bits of miles, and vich Ian Vor will meet us. In about half an hour they reached the upper end of the lake, where, after landing Waverley, the two Highlanders drew the boat into a little creek among thick flags and reeds, where it lay perfectly concealed. The oars they put in another place of concealment, both for the use of Donald Bean Lean probably, when his occasions should next bring him to that place. The travellers followed for some time a delightful opening into the hills, down which a little brook found its way to the lake. When they had pursued their walk a short distance, Waverley renewed his questions about their host of the cavern. Does he always reside in that cave? Out, no, it's past the skill of man to tell where he's to be found at a times. There's not a dern nook, or cove, or corrie, in the whole country that he's not acquainted with. And do others beside your master shelter him? My master? My master is in heaven, answered Evan, haughtily and then immediately assuming his usual civility of manner, but you mean my chief. No, he does not shelter Donald Bean Lean, nor any that are like him. He only allows him, with a smile, wood and water. No great boon, I should think, Evan, when both seem to be very plenty. Ah, but ye dinna see through it. When I say wood and water, I mean the loch and the land and I fancy Donald would be put till to if the laird were to look for him with threescore men in the wood of Killy Chat yonder, and if our boats, with a score or twa mare, were to come down the lock to Wim Henri, headed by myself, or ony other pretty man. But suppose a strong party came against him from the low country, would not your chief defend him? Nah, he would not wear the spark of a flint for him, if they came with the law. And what must Donald do, then? He behoved to rid this country of himself, and fall back, it may be, over the mount upon letter scriven. And if he were pursued to that place? I's a warrant he would go to his cousins at Rannoch. Well, but if they followed him to Rannoch? That, quoth Evan, is beyond all belief, and, indeed, to tell you the truth, there durst not a lowlander in all Scotland follow the fray a gunshot beyond Ballybrug, unless he had the help of the Sidier Dhu. Whom do you call so? The Sidier Dhu? The black soldier. That is what they call the independent companies that were raised to keep peace and law in the highlands. Vich Ian Vore commanded one of them for five years, and I was sergeant myself, I shall warrant ye. They call them Sidier Dhu because they wear the tartans as they call your men, King George's men, Sidier Roy, or Red Soldiers. Well, but when you were in King George's pay, Evan, 
you were surely King George's soldiers? Troth, and you must ask Vich Ian Vor about that, for we are for his king, and care not much which of them it is. At any rate, nobody can say we are King George's men now, when we have not seen his pay this twelvemonth. This last argument admitted no reply, nor did Edward attempt any. He rather chose to bring back the discourse to Donald Bean Lean. Does Donald confine himself to cattle, or does he lift, as you call it, anything else that comes his way? Troth, he's nay a nice body, and he'll just talk anything, but most readily cattle, horse, or live Christians. For sheep are slow of travel, and inside plenishing is cumbrous to carry, and not easy to put away for siller in this country. But does he carry off men and women? Out, aye. Did not ye hear him speak o' the Perth Bailey? It cost that body five hundred merks ere he got to the south of Bailey Brogue. And Anse Donald played a pretty sport. Footnote. See note seventeen. There was to be a blithe bridal between the Lady Camfreezer in the How o' the Mearns. She was the old laird's widow, and no say young as she had been herself, and young Gilly Wackett, who had spent his airship and movables, like a gentleman, at cock-matches, bull-baitings, horse-races, and the like. Now, Donald being lean, being aware that the bridegroom was in request, and wanting to cleek the kunzi, that is, to hook the siller, he cannily carried off Gilly Wackett i.e. night when he was riding Dovering Hame. We the malt rather abooned the meal, and with the help of his gillies he got him into the hills with the speed of light and the first place he wakened in was the cove of William Henri. So there was old to do about ransoming the bridegroom, for Donald would not lower a farthing of a thousand pounds. The devil! Pounds Scottish, ye shall understand. And the lady had not the siller if she had pawned her gown, and they applied to the governor o' Serling Castle, and to the major o' the Black Watch. And the governor said it was o'er far to the northward, and out of his district. And the major said his men were gained hame to the shearing, and he would not call them out before the victual was got in for all the cram-freezers in Christendom, let alone the Mearns, for that it would prejudice the country. And in the meanwhile you'll no hinder Gillywacket to take the smallpox. There was not a doctor in Perth or Stirling would look near the poor lad, and I cannot blame them, for Donald had been misjuggled by ain of these doctors about Paris and he swore he would fling the first into the loch that he catched beyond the pass. However, some Kailiacs, that is, old women, that were about Donald's hand nursed Gilly Wackett say we all that, between the free open air in the cove and the fresh way, Deal and he did not recover maybe as weel as if he had been closed in a glazed chamber and a bed with curtains, and fed with red wine and white meat. And Donald was save vexed about it that, when he was stout and weel, he even sent him free home, and said he would be pleased with anything they would like to gee him for the plague and trouble which he had about Gilly Wackett to an unkenned degree. And I cannot tell you precisely how they sorted, but they agreed say right that Donald was invited to dance at the wedding in his highland trues, and they say that there was never say makel siller clinked in his purse either before or since. And to boot of all that, Gilly Wackett said that, be the evidence what it liked, if he had the luck to be on Donald's inquest, 
he would bring him in guilty of nothing whatever unless it were wilful arson or murder under trust with such bald and disjointed chat evan went on illustrating the existing state of the highlands more perhaps to the amusement of waverley than that of our readers at length after having marched over bank and bray moss and heather edward though not unacquainted with the scottish liberality in computing distance began to think that evan's five miles were nearly doubled his observation on the large measure which the scottish allowed of their land in comparison to the computation of their money was readily answered by evan with the old jest the deal take them will have the least pint stoop footnote the scottish are liberal in computing their land and liquor the scottish pint corresponds to two english quarts as for their coin every one knows the couplet how can the rogues pretend to sense their pound is only twenty pence and now the report of a gun was heard and a sportsman was seen with his dogs and attendant at the upper end of the glen shog said dugald mahoney tats to chief it is not said evan imperiously do you think he would come to meet a sensinesh duinawassel in such a way as that but as they approached a little nearer he said with an appearance of mortification and it is even he sure enough and he has not his tail on after all there is no living creature with him but callum beg in fact fergus mac ivor of whom a frenchman might have said as truly as of any man in the highlands qu'il connoit bien ses gains had no idea of raising himself in the eyes of an english young man of fortune by appearing with a retinue of idle highlanders disproportioned to the occasion he was well aware that such an unnecessary attendance would seem to edward rather ludicrous than respectable and while few men were more attached to ideas of chieftainship and feudal power he was for that very reason cautious of exhibiting external marks of dignity unless at the time and in the manner when they were most likely to produce an imposing effect therefore although had he been to receive a brother chieftain he would probably have been attended by all that retinue which evan described with so much unction he judged it more respectable to advance to meet waverley with a single attendant a very handsome highland boy who carried his master's shooting pouch and his broadsword without which he seldom went abroad when fergus and waverley met the latter was struck with the particular grace and dignity of the chieftain's figure above the middle size and finely proportioned the highland dress which he wore in its simplest mode set off his person to great advantage he wore the trues or close trousers made of tartan checked scarlet and white in other particulars his dress strictly resembled evans excepting that he had no weapon save a dirk very richly mounted with silver his page as we have said carried his claymore and the fowling piece which he held in his hand seemed only designed for sport he had shot in the course of his walk some young wild ducks as though close time was then unknown the broods of grouse were yet too young for the sportsman his countenance was decidedly scottish with all the particularities of the northern physiognomy but yet had so little of its harshness and exaggeration that it would have been pronounced in any country extremely handsome the martial air of the bonnet with a single eagle's feather as a distinction added much to the manly appearance of his head 
which was besides ornamented with a far more natural and graceful cluster of close black curls than ever were exposed to sale in bond street an air of openness and affability increased the favorable impression derived from this handsome and dignified exterior yet a skilful physiognomist would have been less satisfied with the countenance on a second than on a first view the eyebrow and upper lip bespoke something of the habit of peremptory command and decisive superiority even his courtesy though open frank and unconstrained seemed to indicate a sense of personal importance and upon any check or accidental excitation a sudden though transient lower of the eye showed a hasty haughty and vindictive temper not less to be dreaded because it seemed much under its owner's command in short the countenance of the chieftain resembled a smiling summer's day in which notwithstanding we are made sensible by certain though slight signs that it may thunder and lighten before the close of evening it was not however upon their first meeting that edward had an opportunity of making these less favorable remarks the chief received him as a friend of the baron of bradwardine with the utmost expression of kindness and obligation for the visit upbraided him gently with choosing so rude an abode as he had done the night before and entered into a lively conversation with him about donald bean's housekeeping but without the least hint as to his predatory habits or the immediate occasion of waverley's visit a topic which as the chief did not introduce it our hero also avoided while they walked merrily on towards the house of glenacoich evan who now fell respectfully into the rear followed with callum beg and dugald mahoney we shall take the opportunity to introduce the reader to some particulars of fergus Ivor's character and history which were not completely known to waverley till after a connection which though arising from a circumstance so casual had for a length of time the deepest influence upon his character actions and prospects but this being an important subject must form the commencement of a new chapter note sixteen this celebrated gibbet was in the memory of the last generation still standing at the western end of the town of creef in perthshire why it was called the kind gallows we are unable to inform the reader with certainty but it is alleged that the highlanders used to touch their bonnets as they passed a place which had been fatal to many of their countrymen with the ejaculation god bless her nayin cell and the teal tamu it may therefore have been called kind as being a sort of native or kindred place of doom to those who suffered there as in fulfilment of a natural destiny note seventeen the story of the bridegroom carried off by caterans on his bridal day is taken from one which was told to the author by the late laird of macnab many years since to carry off persons from the lowlands and to put them to ransom was a common practice with the wild highlanders as it is said to be at the present day with the banditti in the south of italy upon the occasion alluded to a party of caterans carried off the bridegroom and secreted him in some cave near the mountains of shehalion the young man caught the smallpox before his ransom could be agreed on and whether it was the fine cool air of the place or the want of medical attendance mcnab did not pretend to be positive but so it was that the prisoner recovered his ransom was paid and he was restored to his friends and bride but always considered the highland robbers as having saved his life by their treatment of his malady end of section twenty three